The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop! Oh! And then it goes to Hada! And then Kampenda for Pernille Hada! Miedema! Miedema van de Donk is mee! Miedema! Goal, 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 goal! Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up, it's 11, it's heaven for England. Another win takes them to Wembley. Can Serena's side now outdo the legendary lionesses of the past? And can the Deutsche Bank on another appearance in the final? It's Kate Borsay here and joining me, it's former England captain Faye White. Hi Faye. Hello. And journalist and author of the new Lionesses book, Unsuitable for Females, it's Carrie Dunn. Hi, Carrie. Hello. Uh, What just happened? The Lionesses (laughs) are through to their first final since 2009. Faye White, you must feel like Mama England right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So, so proud. Um, Yeah, it's great scenes, isn't it? Just the way they've got better over the tournament. But yeah, to think we're going to Wembley at home Euros, I mean, it doesn't get any better, does it? It's Carrie. I mean, Carrie, we just came on this uh, podcast and before we press record, we were just like, what just happened? You know, again, a bit like Shades of Norway, but this is bigger. This is this is huge. It is. It, it's absolutely massive. And I can't quite believe what we've been seeing over the past three weeks. And what we saw tonight is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And England are going to play in the final of their home Euros, as Faye's just said. Um, are we allowed to break into football's coming home, both of you? No, 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 Kate, please don't. <laughs> don't on. have the best singing voice, but I would love to. <laughs> I was only joking, by the way. Uh, maybe by the end of the tournament, we can uh, get a rise from both of you. Well, there's only one place to start. Let's get on and crack through the action. Straight then to a sensational night in Sheffield. Well, it was an uncomfortable, uneasy first half for Serena Wiegmann's side, but anything but in the second half. It finished England 4, Sweden nil at Bramall Lane as the Lionesses reached just their third major tournament final ever and their first since FaZe team, FaZe England, in 2009. I've got your initial reactions. Um, I don't know where to start apart from I can't stop thinking about Alessia Russo's goal. <laughs> So, Carrie, should we just go there first of all? This was at a point in the game, of course, goal number three, where England were absolutely romping this. And that that was so good to see as a fan. Yeah, absolutely. That that goal, I literally fell off my chair, Kate. I literally (laughs) fell off my chair. (laughs) I was scrambling around on the floor and shouting for my husband to both come and see the goal, but also because (laughs) I've fallen on the floor with quite a clatter. (laughs) I was fine. It's it's fine. I've gone straight for the glory uh, with this one, but thank goodness Alessia Russo missed the first time she tried to score because she, on the rebound, produced, well, uh, it just has to be described as a as a completely outrageous back heel. I mean, in 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 
in a Euro semi-final, Faye, that went straight through the legs of Lindell in the Sweden goal. Um, I mean, this this was one of the moments of the game for me. Yeah, indeed. And I think it, it's the moment that just shows it's going to happen. It's meant to be when things like that come off. I mean, she like you said, brilliant build-up for the goal, wasn't it? And then she missed the actual easier opportunity, but quickly reacts to get onto the, the second ball from it. And then to even just try that, whether she's trying to put it just back in a danger area or, you know, going for goal. But because it's so unexpected, that's why it goes through the keeper's legs, you know, because she's not expecting her to do that at that point, I suppose. You're thinking the defender's behind her. She's not going to try something like that. But, I mean, she's just had such an impact, hasn't she, when she's come off the bench into the games. I mean, she set up. Lauren Hemp could have put another goal in yeah. with the first part. She drove through, didn't she, down that right and put in that cross. And Lauren Hemp really had a sitter that she could just hit the bar with. And that was almost her first few touches of the game. But yeah, to have that kind of sub come on and make an impact. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just been working to a, a T, hasn't it, each time? Regular listeners can probably tell that we're a little giddy at the moment. <laughs> um, but I do want to revisit the first half as we analyse what went right for the Lionesses. Um, but also, you know, it wasn't a completely smooth game. And Serena Wiegmann identified this at the end, Carrie, how they did have that nervy start again. Uh, they weren't weren't flowing properly in the first half. I thought Sweden uh, very much had the momentum. Do you think it was just nerves? Do you think it was just trying to, trying to get into the game? I, I kind of got the feeling from watching their body language that they kind of maybe weren't expecting... Sweden to put up quite as much resistance as they did set pieces they're always very very well organized always a threat there and England just weren't having very much joy and I think that was quite frustrating but then you saw Beth Mee's reaction after scoring and she seemed quite angry she I think she was crossing <laughs> herself for not having scored before that point I mean there were plenty of chances being created but lots of quite limp shots you know a couple of efforts from distance and they weren't really coming off and then just Beth Mead's just absolute release of tension after scoring I thought that kind of summed the first half up pretty nicely yeah. right okay we're back on track yes let's go Bronx keeps it going In terms of European competition and goals scored, uh, she sits level with Inka Grings, uh, who in 2009, you'll remember this, in Finland, Faye uh, scored six. So basically, if Beth Mead gets another goal, she's completely smashed that. No England player, male or female, has ever scored more than six at a major tournament. She's got to be favourite. Surely she's got to be favourite for BBC Sports Personality of the Year. But that, I feel like I'm getting ahead of myself now. Um, but Beth Mead's impact, it's been said a lot in this tournament. But again, she did what was needed of her to get her side properly back into the game, Faye. Yeah, I mean, I think she is, she's well, a winger now, but she has that striker's mentality from the her first few years within the game that she was a striker she likes to get in there doesn't she get on the end of it and but when she gets presented with chances you would bank on her to score without question um and I mean I mark Inka Grins and Bridget Prince and for me they're two of the best strikers that have ever played and so to think that she's up there with them and they played as number nines at the time um, nine or a ten, so a lot more central in their positioning. Mm. But she's matching that record while playing out as a wide play forward. 
Um, but it's her instinct to get in the box, to want to get on the end of things, to be able to dribble into the box like we saw against Norway she did and, and Northern Ireland for her goals, that she can do that. Um, I think she had a header at the, a bit earlier, didn't she? But that's not her strength. She could have possibly put that one away, but probably been hypercritical of her there. But yeah, I mean, she came into the to- tournament as the, out of all the squad as the leading scorer. I think it was 11 goals in the WSL and six assists or something like that. And I think it was a Lauren Hemp that's nearly close to that in the WSL season that's just gone. So, yeah, she's just come off where she ended in the WSL. And it's brilliant. You've got to think player of the tournament, golden boot as well, perhaps. But Yeah, too soon. Um, I mean, how do some of these players compare to some of the best, like Bigot Prince, like Inca Grings that you played with uh, back in your day? Because although football's moved on, it doesn't mean that, that in your day there weren't exceptionally talented technical players like Kelly Smith, like Inca Grings, you know, some of the greats of the game. How does this England side compare against some of those? Well, some of them, I mean, really, they're quite new to it in a way. Like you look at Lauren Hemp, even Beth Mead. Yeah, it's been in and around the squad for a, a while, but not kind of the longevity of the careers that the, 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 the likes of Kelly or um, Inca Grintz or Prince or had. Uh, so... I mean, it's hard to compare because, let's say, if they are now fully professional, they can concentrate on their game 100%. So their talent, yes, can be even better. But equally, what I've I've witnessed in the past, you just think they were the greats of their time. They're on a par. The game's just improving, getting better with, you know, more support, more um, time on the ball, more recovery, more technical awareness, everything. And, I mean, the Lioness is a almost putting their name in history, aren't they? They're, they're, that, they're that close now. And we've just brushed the number two side in the world away, pushed them aside at ease. Yes, it was tough in that first half, but they rode that storm. Bit fortunate with a, a couple, the one that hit off the bar from the corner. And But, I mean, yeah, it's the, the golf is definitely closing between the top teams. And that's because of the investment, the support, the full-time, the, you know, the girls being able to train professionally with their clubs, touch the ball every day. Every, you know, every minute they're concentrating on football and look what it's produced. What England did do, Carrie, let's just talk about what they changed in this second half. They sat a bit deeper, didn't they, and played on the break. How crucial was that? What was going so right for them in the second half? Yeah, they, they, they did. They, they dropped back a little bit deeper and they went that they were much stronger on the counter-attack, which is where their strengths lie. I mean, you were talking about Lucy Bronze kind of getting caught forward, but if you're playing Lucy Bronze, you know that's what you're going to get from her. You know you're going to get her pushing forward, and you are occasionally going to leave those spaces exposed, so you are going to need others to cover for her occasionally. But, yeah, the running, the the movement, I thought that was so much better in the second half. And I think the second goal was the pivotal one. I think after that, I think Sweden were kind of expecting to be able to deal with most things into the box quite handily. And after that, I just felt they just seemed quite rattled. They were nervous. And that's when England started to play some very, very lovely free-flowing football. I think when Lucy scores that second goal, it's almost like, you know, the players can just relax that little bit more. So early in the second half, you've got that cushion. And then, like I I said earlier, it's almost like, you know, everything that's going to, it's just going to come off. And with that kind of audacious back heel that uh, Alessia does, I mean, her confidence is just, you know, sky high at the moment, isn't it? Because of that brilliant goal she scored against Northern Ireland too, where she took it on the turn and then just slotted it away. I've been saying all along in 
build it up to this game in this tournament. It just feels like with Serena in charge and the confidence the players are showing, and especially in the second half um, as well, um, and the, the strength that they have with the substitutions, that it's like all the stars are aligning, really. The fact that it's a home Euro, has got those extra days rests as well. Um, and then Frank Irby pops up with another great goal and what yes. I think is her best performance as well. Yes. Okay. So let's so let's talk about that. It was a throwing up from from the right. Um clever pass into Kirby. Um first time chip over Lindahl. Uh Lindahl again got well two hands on the ball this time but could only really sort of push it over her head and into the net. That was on 77 minutes. Um we saw the best of Frank Kirby, didn't we, so far? There were a couple of performances uh, like that, I thought, um, for England. Leah Williamson as well, Faye. I mean, let's just talk about her because this is, this is someone uh, that you know very well from Arsenal, of course. And my goodness me, uh, Leah has has grown into such a mature player she was always destined for something special. I'll say that from meeting her years and years, years ago and watching her play in finals years ago. There's a Conti Cup final I watched her in uh, that she was great in. Um, but talk to us about Leah Williamson and, you know, why she was so good today. You could see Sweden were almost, they every game, they always kind of shut the right-hand side of a team down, don't they? And they did it again with us. They're kind of based heavily pushing down the left side of their opponent and, in our way, it probably helped us even more because Leah can get on the ball, got much, so much more time. She's happy and confident to have the ball at her feet and, and start, you know, put those passes in. She makes those forward passes through the midfield line that I probably would never have tried at my, because I wouldn't have had the, the, the technique that she has and that precision in her passing um, and that confidence that she seems to just be able to thread it. If it obviously not, they were shutting off um, Kira Walsh, but then putting it through onto Georgia Stanway or into Ellen White when she dropped deep slightly. And when you take a few lines of their midfield out, it just opens up the game for the player that receives the ball. And yeah, I mean, but she has been fantastic, hasn't she? She's kind of under the radar. Millie Bright, her partner, was taking the praise in all the other games. But she's just, as a captain, I was saying to it, you just have to make sure you perform at an eight or a nine most games in a way, consistent. And then in the big ones, you just got to step up again. You know, that's that's what you need. You play your game and then the rest will take care of itself on the field. Obviously, there's lots of commitments off the field and pressures as well, but she's been doing magnificently. And yeah, to actually achieve that role when a lot of people have, for years through your whole career have said that you're going to get to that level, to actually then go and do it and then perform how she is. I mean, hats off to her. It's just been brilliant to watch and see her do that and realise that. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Now, this wouldn't be a Euros podcast without Lindsay Hooper popping up after an England game. And I'm really pleased to say we've managed to grab her live at Bramall Lane uh, with a bit of Sweet Caroline going on in the background, I think. Linz, how are you? Oh, my gosh, ecstatic. I don't even know what to say. Well, i tell you what I will. I will start by saying, Kate, is I've missed you. We have been every semi-final in recent tournaments together and here I am at Bramall Lane and you're in the studio and I've missed you. I cannot wait to give you a big hug about this because I know that it's something that we've wanted to see for a long time. Uh, players are leaving now, you might hear the fans behind me. People have got banners and we've had It's Coming Home sang on repeat. Um, the belief here and the reaction has been incredible. Oh my goodness. Tell me a bit about the atmosphere at Bramall Lane. I mean, I, I'm sure the build-up started a good few hours before the game, but tell us what it was like being there. 
Well, yeah, and I, I actually think we need to start with that march that happened to the stadium. If you've not seen some of the footage, go on social media because there was a fan bus laden in England flags and there were a whole crowd of thousands, I mean thousands, that followed it, which is a sight that we've not seen. You know, this is a tournament as well where we get to speak on the occasion of the first time that Trafalgar Square's opened up for fan zone for it. We've got fan zones popping up all over the country. So it felt like a landmark occasion before the game had even begun. And yeah, I mean, the atmosphere in the stadium prior to kick off the warm-ups it was it was electric it was really loud and then you know what Sweden really dampened the spirits for the first 20 minutes <laughs> yes. I think you know the th first 30 seconds and Mary Earps having to produce a save with her legs just got everyone back in their seats nestled in and just watching fixated but the first goal I think was the most important I know that Alessia Russo will get so many mentions because it was incredible but I think Beth Mead getting them off the mark that was the key moment I did speak to Alessia Russo actually um, about that goal I said to her that people around me which is perfectly true had been describing it as absolute filth and she burst out laughing um, and she just said look you know I don't want to describe it because she said I was still so annoyed that I didn't bury the first chance uh, she just said that she felt it was the quickest route back to goal so decided to, to hit it with the back heel um, but what an incredible moment for her to look back on she's still so young as well I actually asked her about coming off the bench and whether that was firing her up even more and she said she's just taking every opportunity to play in this England squad because she feels it's so special and then I also spoke to player of the match Beth Mead who's now surpassed Jodie Taylor's record for England at a Euro um, by getting six goals and I, I asked her about about the team about her teammates and their performances and she was spreading the love around but she had a big smile on her face you can tell that she thinks she's partway there for the golden boot I think we all feel that now let's see what pop does for Germany <laughs> um, people are screaming because they're seeing that they're seeing the England bus the England bus is behind me Kate it, everyone's just got in I've just seen Serena Wiegmann and Leah Williamson get on last two people and here it comes so we're going to see uh, a big reaction now I think there's a police escort for the England bus <laughs> there's a police escort which like I've never seen before one two three lots of police because there are so many fans waiting with flags just to get a glimpse of the team um, I'm going to move on actually because I don't want them to think that I'm a stalker because I've got to see them later this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to Beth, I did finish by saying about, you know, what is it? What's the key component that you think might get you over the line in the final? And she said it's the belief. It's the belief in this squad that she's never experienced before. Here they go. <laughs> the Another two police cars. I've never seen so much police to escort the England team for a women's game before. This is another moment, Kate, that we would not have witnessed before. Brilliant. Yeah, they're driving past now. Well, I wonder if that will be the ultimate fun bus that's just driven behind you, Hoops. But it's a point to mention, actually. Were the players still trying to keep it together, trying to trying to sort of hold on to some amount of of keeping it cool? Because they've still they've still got a final to play, still got the biggest game to play. Some were and some weren't is the truthful answer. I saw Frank Kirby in the, in the flash zone and also Lucy Bronze and they were both very measured. I feel like you're more experienced players who've experienced the hurt of losing 
certainly in semi-finals before, and now they've got to this final, they don't want to let it go. They're taking it way more seriously. Some of the younger players were ecstatic. I mean, Alessia Russo <laughs> was laughing all over the shop and just enjoying <laughs> herself. But I think from Serena's point of view, she's given the instruction of party tonight. You can go and party. You can party in the dressing room. We'll recover tomorrow, and then we go again. Um, and I think the focus is there. You know, this is in their grasp now. They have got that day advantage over whoever is going to meet them in the final, whether it be Germany or France. So I think they're going to use that day to just enjoy. Uh, whatever way, it's going to be an epic event on Sunday. Let's see who gets them there. Would you rather have France or Germany, Linz? Where's your head at? Um, I don't think I really mind now, but we all love a Germany-England final, don't we? <laughs> I've got to say that in the history of watching England football teams in my lifetime, bring on the Germans. Well, Lindsay Hooper there and wonderful scenes at Bramall Lane, nearly a sellout crowd there tonight on a historic night for the Lionesses and celebrations all over the country as well. The Athletics Tim Spears uh, was at Wembley with some England fans watching goal after goal as the night's drama unfolded. And the thing about Sweet Caroline is I'm basically going to be singing it all night, but it sounded like those England fans were having a brilliant time. Carrie, let's come to you on Sweden. Um, what did they get right in this, but it just wasn't good enough? Where did they go wrong in this game? I thought Rolfo was good in the first half, um, but England sort of snuffed them out completely. And they didn't they didn't didn't really have an answer for it, did they? I don't I don't think Sweden played badly necessarily. I say I thought they were much the better team in the first half. I didn't quite think England deserved a goal lead, perhaps. But I just think England was so dedicated to sticking to the game plan. Um, they didn't allow Sweden's kind of uh, combined pressure with, because they were Sweden were creating chances. They were pushing and pushing and pushing. And obviously, Mary Earps had a great game. Mary Alexandra Earps, she had a fantastic <laughs> game, and she she was there whenever Sweden had had a chance in the box. But I just think England were very very good. I just think Sweden lost their shape after that second goal. It was it that that's the that's the pinpoint moment for me. I think um, for me it was in the first half in certainly midfield we were giving the ball away and Sweden based their game on transitions and, and attacking quickly or on the counter attack and I think in the second half we stopped doing that you know giving possession away re- reduced basically and we be- and it managed to create better attacks more frequently I think and it pushed Sweden back as well. How does Sweden digest this? competition this tournament phase you think exiting at the semi-final uh, of course it's it's an achievement having having got to the semi-final but it'll be a disappointment really for the nation who've had such strong success and really should have been building up to really try and win this tournament yeah obviously got to the final of the olympics didn't they and they were hoping or expecting that again i mean over the years sweden have always performed highly are always well supported back home um and rightly so, because they've been so consistent. But they also do have, you know, an aging. We talked about their experience going into this this game through the spine of their team almost. But I think, and some of their players, they are starting to, you know, age now. And so you would expect that changes there will need to happen um, to the spine of their team, like Sega, Lindor, um, As- Aslani as well um, in the future, because they're all in their 30s plus, aren't they? Um, although Aslani was brilliant, I think, uh, in patches tonight. Um, 
But I think gradually it's that, really. But equally, knowing the Swedes are so back behind their team, they will still think, you know, support the team and say, we got to a semi-final, you know, that's still good because um, the Swedes are just fantastic in the way they support their, their national women's team. Uh, Carrie, the big shock of the week apart from this was that it actually turns out that Peter Gardson does not have a cat, the Swedish manager no. uh, that, that we're both a bit obsessed with. Uh, what happened and where's his cat gone? So this, this was like a frantic Saturday morning WhatsApp, wasn't it, Kate? I was absolutely frantic about this. So what happened was um, Peter Gahardson had been reported to have said that he hadn't looked at any of the media. He hadn't been reading the newspapers because he has a cat and an interest in music. But it turns out that that was a bad translation of what he actually said. And what he had actually said, according to the Swedish media, was that he has uncut the music magazine and an interest in music, which kind of makes more sense. But I prefer thinking of him with a cat, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, now he can go and see the Rolling Stones on Sunday. He's got tickets. Uh, he's now able, no discussion about throwing the Euros at all, please. Uh, he can go and see the Rolling Stones on Sunday. All right, well, coming up, let's talk about who the Lionesses will face in Sunday's final. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Well, on Wednesday night, the most decorated team in Euros history takes on a side about to play their first ever Euro semi-final. It's Germany versus France at Stadium MK, and we're joined now by German journalist Tamara Keller. Hi, Tamara. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> it's close to midnight. <laughs> oh, thank you for joining us in our late night podcasting. We are, of course, excited uh, to see this game, France versus Germany. Two really quite different sides, Tamara, and I wonder what you think we're going to get from this. Hmm. It will be difficult, I would say. I think in this game... Germany has more like a favorite role because they won like eight times the Euros. But um, the game will be like 50-50. So it will be very excited for us to watch it. Um, how will Germany set up against France? Will they do anything different or will they play their, play their usual game? I just wonder how they, how they stem the threats, particularly from the French wing. Yeah, sadly, we had today the news that Clara Bühl is tested positive on COVID. So Gosh. there will be a difference. We already talked in your podcast about Clara Bühl. And I, I think it was really her tournament. So it's really, really sad to miss um, for her that she will miss this game. And she's also like a player which brings that much more fast skills into the game, into the, the German game. But I believe the German team has the quality to make this that they don't have to think too much yeah. about that. We love Clara Bull on this podcast <laughs> and she does represent, um, you know, uh, energy and um, a bit of youth as well. Yes, um, yes. There are several other legendary players uh, or several legendary players that don't, I suppose, have to rely on, you know, energy and youth because they're just so technically good. They have the ability uh, to pop up. I think you know who I'm talking about here, don't you? And uh, and score a goal. Alexandra Pop scored in every game so far that she's played in. Uh, she's going to be essential. And Lena McGull or Lena McGull as she was called in one of the newspaper headlines I read, which I thought was was very nifty. Um, 
is she in the running for player of the tournament, Lena McGill? She's been she's been absolutely fantastic, hasn't she? Oh, I would love that, but I'm not sure if it will be like that in the end. But um, I would say she's uh, a player who would deserve it. Um, it was very interesting. There's a big documentation right now on German TV where you can like, it's very close to the players. It's financed by the DFB, like uh, the the German <laughs> uh National Association. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, there you get to know Lina Magul a bit better. And it's uh, kind of interesting because she's a person who thinks a lot. And um, sometimes I think you see that in, in the way how she plays. But she's also like such a great sportswoman. And like there are these two sides of Lina Magul where she is like, Uh, completely clown and <laughs> completely funny and a really great sports person and a really like introvert or overthinking person and yeah I I guess yeah that makes her to such a great player yeah uh, well look we, we're all really excited about this one how would you feel about playing England in the final we're all giddy with excitement here tomorrow <laughs> after a fantastic game And we've got that potential, haven't we? A repeat of 2009 here, England versus Germany. How would you feel about that? I would love to see that game, actually. And I would love to see England for once in this tournament to struggle, <laughs> actually. <laughs> because, because I feel like, yeah, the, the, yeah, the English game always seems so uh, light. And um, yeah, I, I guess it would be a very great game Uh, England versus Germany and also my colleague Mara Pfeiffer who's also a journalist pointed out today that now there will be two uh, women uh, coaches in the final whether France or German will uh, will win tomorrow or today yeah. and uh, that's also a great accomplishment I guess yeah it certainly is um well look Let's see what happens, shall we? We may be talking again um, tomorrow. I hope Keller. so. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that game against Germany is France's first semi-final since the 2011 World Cup. After falling at the quarterfinal stage in each of the last four tournaments, it's been the quarterfinal curse, isn't it, for France? Uh, it's also going to be France's first game outside of Rotherham at this tournament too. They're going to experience the delights of Milton Keynes. Um, which I'm sure they are uh, very excited about. Um, so this tussle between Germany and France, Faye, explain the differences between the two sides and really what makes this one so tough to call. Um, I'll say there's nothing wrong with me on Keynes. I live quite near it. So I'm actually taking my family to I that game. I love the concrete cows. I love the concrete cows. <laughs> and all the roundabouts. Oh, you get yes. so lost. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm taking my family and I can't wait. It's going to be such a game. But the differences um, between Germany and France, I mean, well, the Germans just so efficient, aren't they? Um, compact, together, experienced, clinical, ruthless. Um, and then the French, I think, are just more flamboyant, got so much speed technical ability um, on the break, certainly their front three lineup. I mean, obviously it's, it's a shame about Kototo not being in the, you know, the tournament for the latter stages, but I mean, it's hard to call really. And then I'm, I'm looking at it thinking, well, what would, who, which team would I prefer? And 
part of me is leaning to Germany, which I never thought I would say that. Right. I know. Um, obviously, I think if you can keep pop and hoot quite quiet for Germany, and if, if Bull's not playing because of COVID, then maybe that could be into our hands. But, I mean, at the end of the day, we England can sit back and just go, well, whoever it will be, will be. Let's enjoy watching this game. And, you know, we'll have to then plan, won't they, once they know. But, yeah, it's a hard one to call. Um, but it was, it's going to be an amazing game tomorrow as well. It certainly does. Does it, uh, does it feel like, actually, Germany will be not the more straightforward team for England to beat, but, but you can sort of get a sense of how England would beat Germany, whereas with France, there's a bit more of the unknown and we could have that kind of Spain factor where England are just completely stunned by the opposition for a period. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think you've summed that up brilliantly because I was I couldn't quite put why I would want Germany, <laughs> but I think we would know what to expect. We would know it would be physical, but with France, I think it it could just be more of an unknown, more of a it's the pace I think up front. Um, it's the not that I think our defence would be able to handle it, but it you just see their games. They start games really quickly. They're so ferocious. The tempo of the the game is is high throughout it. Um, I mean, Diani, I think, has been superb for oh, them as well. she's so awesome. She's so yeah. awesome. I mean, the only thing is they don't quite have the experience in the latter stages, whereas Germany, even though it's a very different team, but they seem to breed it. I mean, I saw in one of the clips right at the end when they were in a huddle, Bridget Prince is in their coaching staff. I saw her and I was like, oh, she's there. She's passing on the, the that belief, that, she's coming that back to mentality. She is. Um, <laughs> that mentality of what it takes and what is expected. And, you know, so even though that the current team is quite young and had a lot of disappointment, almost the pressure's off. I think we look at it, but I did hear some of their players saying that their pressure is firmly on because they are Germany, you know? So mm, that's but, it. Expectations. Yeah. And maybe we don't have those expectations um, of England. Um, Carrie, let's, Let's return back to this Germany-France fixture before before Faye and I basically make up an England-Germany <laughs> final. Um, France, look, we've heard so much about upset within the team in previous tournaments, how Corinne Diacre winds them all up. And we've been saying all tournament, you know, France haven't done that yet. I'm And I'm kind of sick of saying that, you know, France probably won't implode in this tournament now. They're doing really, really well. Um, Diacre has been vindicated has she for the decision to keep key players at home uh, there's no Katoto who has stepped into her shoes how have France coped without her yeah Mallard has looked very good and stepping into the team and taking Katoto's place and looking dangerous in front of goal um I also saw quite an interesting few quotes from um Tom and she said that they had added motivation to do well this tournament now because of the injury to Katota. They wanted to kind of win it for her as well as for themselves. So I think that's kind of added an extra dynamic to it. But yeah, I do like the way you said they haven't imploded yet. Like you're always kind of expecting chaos yes. to unfold with France, aren't you? Yeah, but I'm always getting sick of hearing that, I think. Yeah, I've I've watched this tournament and I've been kind of, I've been kind of waiting for the chaos and the arguments and the I don't know looking at the touchline and waiting for Corinne Diacre to do something terrible and some mad decision I just haven't seen any necessarily any evidence on the pitch of what people say has been going on behind the scenes I think things seem to have calmed down they they seem they seem all right touch wood 
Well, that game, France versus Germany on Wednesday night, one to look forward to and a reminder that the winner will be playing the Lionesses who are participating in a European Championship final on Sunday. Can't stop saying that. Now, those players will follow in the footsteps of some of the greats of the English game. Let's hear now from the Lionesses class of 84 and 2009. Kelly Smith, perfection. Playing in the home Euros is super special. So you you know you you're, you're not only playing for yourself, your family, but you're playing for fans and the next generation of girls that are looking up to you. Having Serena Wiegmann, of course, who knows how to do it at home, is huge. So once you've beaten those teams, once you've got to latter stages in competitions, you're used to it. You've got that experience. It was over two legs when we played. So the first leg we lost in Sweden 1-0. Um, I think we probably could have played better. But in the second leg, I thought we played really, really well. But we didn't have extra time straight to penalties. If we'd have been given extra time, you would have hoped we would have had a better outcome because I thought we played well in the second leg. I just don't think we had the mentality that the players have now in terms of we were more worried about Germany, looking at their strengths, how are we going to stop them, rather than focusing on what we were actually good at and why we got to the final. Whereas I think now that they focus on themselves, they focus on what they're good at, looking at your abilities, and I think that's what they do. I don't think we did. Space opening up for Georgia Stanway. Goes for goal! They dug deep, they showed a lot of resilience and belief and determination. And I've never seen that from an England side in my 42 years of life. The best England side I've seen so far, and they've delivered when it mattered. They were going out of the tournament and to show that courage and fight is absolutely brilliant. And there's something special going on, I feel, with this England team. They have a very strong mentality and a will to win. And I think uh, the 84 team definitely had that. Brilliant getting to a final, getting a silver medal. Getting beat wasn't great. So fingers crossed we can go all the way and get that gold medal. Play as well as you can, be confident. And as they say, the whole cliche, leave it all out there so you don't have any regrets. Well, thanks very much to Kelly Smith, Sue Smith and Kerry Davis there. Um, Kerry, speaking about England's defeat to Sweden in 1984, and I think it's probably worth letting our younger listeners know just how different times were for the women's game then. Carrie, I'll come to you on uh, on this first, being the academic uh, and the expert on all things women's football, and then we'll get a bit of experiential stuff from you, Faye. Uh, no extra time then, as Kerry said in 1984. Carrie, what else could you tell us? So, yeah, the first women's Euros is not a Euros as we would kind of recognise it now. So they played these two-legged semi-finals, but they played them like two weeks apart and then um, the same for the final. So you basically had your semi-final and your final stretched across like two (laughs) months-ish. So it's not kind of like a week of a finals, like, you know, or two weeks or three weeks as we've had after that, this kind of self-contained tournament. So there's that. But if you think about it, you play the first leg of a final, you go back to your job for two weeks, 
and then you have to get on a plane or whatever and then play the second leg of the final to lift silverware for your country. I mean, can you imagine that? And this so is only 1984. <laughs> This is yeah. literally within our lifetimes. This is just <laughs> madness. And they only played 35 minutes each way. I mean, again, that's also crazy. They started to kind of allow women to play slightly longer games and then 45 minutes each way. Imagine the horror. But they also play with a smaller ball at that point. They wouldn't let the women have a full-size ball. So, so these poor girls are playing with a, a, a size four, I believe, football. Goodness and I've me. talked to the class of 84 about it and said, you know, what were you thinking playing with you know a ball that was smaller than the one you'd be used to? And they're like... We were just so pleased to be able to play, to be allowed to play, to be in a tournament, even though it wasn't officially UEFA stamped at this point. And this is another bit of mad UEFA bureaucracy. So UEFA agreed to set up an official European competition for women at this point because there had been independently run bef uh, competitions before and no one was very keen on that because UEFA don't like independent organisations doing things without their say-so. So UEFA set this new competition up, but they wouldn't let them have the full UEFA branding because um, they didn't have enough teams entering the qualifying stages. So I believe, if I might get the words in the wrong order, it ended up being called the European Competition for Women's Football. <laughs> so rather than calling it the European Championship. It's the European competition Goodness for women's me. football, but no UEFA <gasps> in the title. So, yes, this is 1984. Um, it seems like a long time ago in some ways, but it's not that long in others. And so they played the second leg of this match at Kenilworth Road on absolute bog of a pitch. It's terrible. I, mean, I saw those pictures Thomas. today, actually. Yes. Uh, they were just, yeah. I, 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 mean, I mean, it's basically <laughs> Glastonbury level of mud isn't it? They're ankle deep in mud and that's just at the kickoff and it, you can see some footage of it on YouTube. There's an AP uh, edited highlights and you can see the conditions getting worse and worse and worse as they get further through the game and then of course no extra time straight to a penalty shootout and of course how are you going to do a penalty shootout in conditions like that? It's no wonder that People are struggling with their footing, taking those kicks. So, yes, 1984, you know, a massive turning point for the women's game in England. But it's important to remember what they were fighting against at the time as well. Yes, England losing out to Sweden then in 1984. Skipper Carol Thomas held the record uh, for England's longest serving captain. That is until a certain Faye White came along. Um, Faye, you led the team out, didn't you, for the 2009 final against Germany? And we've talked a little bit about it in the podcast so far but a 6-2 victory uh, for the Germans their 35th consecutive win in a European Championship game and an incredible England team really when you when you look at the team sheet just uh, tell us about some of the players on there because we will know many of them yeah well, obviously Kelly Smith um, Kaz Carney Anita Asante Rachel Brown um, Casey Stoney yeah um, you know there's players it was we were a strong England team but compared to the Germans in that kind of environment and the first final for us after they've won you know 35 consecutive European games and it, just to put it in context for us I don't think we'd actually scored two goals against them previously so to actually get two goals I think it was two one at one point and we were 
Um, no, sorry, yeah, we'd scored the two, it was 3-2 or something, and then I think it was like in the 60th minute, they literally just went, right, we're out of third gear now, we're going into fifth, and they just blew away, and you could see we could hold it to that point, but we just didn't have the whole adrenaline, the whole excitement, the whole experiencing of the final, um, what it takes out of you, uh, physically, you know, and emotionally, even though you don't realise it, but yeah, the likes of Inca Grintz and Bridget Prince just you know, put their foot down, really. But, yeah. yeah, I remember one of the goals Kelly Smith scored, she just turned back onto her left foot and put Heinz, I think it's the centre-half, who just firm, firmly on her bottom, you know, turned her inside out and put in. We were, like, giddy that we'd scored two goals, you know, um, <laughs> because the backing that they had at the time compared to what we had, it was very different. So we knew it was a mammoth task, but equally, um, you know, a proud moment, even though we lost that that kind of scoreline. But equally, yeah. you look at the tournament, I think we had like two to three days max between most games, whereas now the team, what's it, six, game, six games between the quarter, uh, six days, sorry, between the quarterfinal yes. and semifinal, and four for the final. It's, yeah. you know, it's so much geared better to actually having better quality football because professionals are now rested even more yeah. between games, you know. Back in 2009, was it so compacted, Faye, because you were all kind of mostly part-time players? Were people aware that they only maybe had you in that tournament for, you know, a, a limited amount of time? Um, well, I think it was probably the finance that even UEFA put into the tournament, not spreading it over so much longer, cost them a lot more money yeah, as well. True. Not just um, the fact that, you know, part-time players from some nations were having to get time off work. I mean, I would have left my job if it, <laughs> if I needed to, to make that tournament. But um, yeah, I think it was just the investment at all levels within the game. Uh, well, look, uh, England are now back in another major final. And Faye, just a final thought from you. You must have been thinking about your career and, of course, the 2009 final as well. So the final word goes to you on just the point at which England have reached so far in this tournament. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think you could put it into words. It's it's pretty much all my dreams come true, really. Yes, I got to play in a final, but for the team to do it in the manner they've done it against the best teams in the world, brushing some of them aside like we just witnessed tonight in the kind of exposure era that we are, um, seeing stadiums full of fans, of families and young children who they're inspiring I mean, I, I can't tell you how proud I am, you know, of, of the women's game in general and all those people that have worked tirelessly over years and years to make this happen. Um, to, to see it happening and see the team, Ellen White, Jill Scott, you know, loving it and all the, the, the current younger players that I didn't play with, seeing them love it and just relish it. Um, I hope that just makes them go on and achieve the ultimate which would be lifting it on Sunday and I'm I'm gonna be there I'm gonna be watching nothing's gonna stop oh, me <laughs> I, I'm actually thinking of delaying my well I am going to try and delay my holiday I'm supposed to be traveling to France on Sunday it was booked way before any of this came about and um and I'm going to try and delay my holiday anyway all right well on that note it's time to get the hopometer out can't remember where I was on this, by the way, the last time I did it. Faye and Carrie then, uh, what are your levels of hopefulness now for England winning the tournament? We need a score out of 10. Uh, just to set the tone, Kelly Smith was a 9.4 after we beat Spain. Faye White, where are you on the hopeometer scale? Well, I'll probably, yeah, go 9.5. 
just that little bit more because you've still got a tough game to go. But uh, yeah, I mean, ask me during the game and then <laughs> on Sunday and it could be a 10 out of 10 depending on the score. But yeah, I'm, I've backed them all the way anyway and I'm backing them still. Very good. Carrie Dunn? Oh, see, I feel like I'm on a downer now because I'm not as confident as these former footballers who clearly go in with absolute impregnable self-belief. And there's me thinking, I was going to say like 8.4. I thought that was quite good. But no, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, (laughs) 8.4. And I'm going to go 8.9 just because I always like to leave something for a bit of glory at the end. You you can tell you're a journalist, can't you? Yes. (laughs) First and foremost. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You take the glory, Faye. We can absolutely happily let you run with that. (laughs) All right. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's The Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros edition. Thank you to you, Faye, and to Carrie. Thanks to producer Charlie, but an even bigger thanks to you, the listeners. We'll be with you first thing on Thursday morning after the second semi-final. So keep listening and spreading the word. And while you're at it, follow and subscribe to our channel. Bye for now. The Athletic.